Amen. All right. Today we are reading from the book of Revelation. I, I can see you're not so excited. I can hear from the book of Revelations, chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 5. This month we will be talking about the church. Today's sermon will not necessarily be on that theme, but I felt I want to start this month with this particular teaching. And the title of my message is Returning to Your First Love. Revelations chapter 2, reading from verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, and I'm reading the New American Standard Bible, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. The book of Revelation is a very fascinating book. And I've noted over the years, not too many people like reading it. In fact, I have a feeling that there are some people here who may not have even read the book of Revelations at all. Because it attracts us, but it frightens us at the same time. There are all sorts of wild and weird images of beasts, dragons, angels, plagues. There's war between heaven and earth. So this book is powerful, it's scary, yet it's inspiring. Let me give you a bit of background about it. It was written by John whilst he was in prison on the island of Patmos. The word revelation, or apocalypse as it's called, simply means the unveiling or disclosure of hidden things known only by God. So the purpose of the book of Revelation is to depict and reveal to us the end of this present age and to show us and talk to us and teach us about the coming of God's future kingdom. But in communicating these truths concerning the future, there are many symbols in Revelations, many images and numbers. I talked to you about the number seven. So the book of Revelation contains seven visions which John saw and he documented them. The first of these visions is covered in chapter one right through to chapter three. And we find in these visions, it is Christ the Almighty exhorting his earthly church to remain loyal against all the hostile attacks. And Jesus himself addresses these churches in Asia Minor, which we now know as modern-day Turkey. 
The number seven, therefore, is to be taken as a symbol of complete, completeness. So these letters of the church are seven letters. And the number of churches that Jesus is talking to is seven churches. And every church, current church, is found in those seven churches. Whatever characteristics they had, whatever things they did, we can all read in these seven letters and see ourselves in these seven letters. At the time the book of Revelation was written, Ephesus was a flourishing city with a population of about 225,000 people. And this place, Ephesus, where these churches were, possessed a very, very huge harbor. Now, as you know, like many places that get to be very busy and that get a boom of business, people from around the world converge there. And in most cosmopolitan places, there's things that happen in areas like these that don't usually happen anywhere else. And so, the harbor would accommodate large ships from around the world. And so Ephesus then grew, therefore, to be the wealthiest city in the world. But then other things came in. A temple was erected there called the Temple of Diana. And even in the ancient world, it was considered as one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the largest Greek temple ever constructed. I'm talking about then. Diana was believed to be the mother goddess of the world by the Greeks. And so she was considered as the goddess of fertility, life, and reproduction. So history tells us that as people came to worship Diana, they would engage in all kinds of sexual orgies and sexual mutilation. And the church in, this, in Ephesus, things were going in such a way that the church found a lot of pressure to be able to do things and live in a way that would honor God. Because there was so much wrong that was going on in this city. So the church in Ephesus had to contend with what I believe that we as the church worldwide have to contend with even in our time. So at the time the book of Revelation was written, we also learned that there was the cult of emperor worship. And this cult of emperor worship was growing in Rome and it was becoming popular. So the church was coming under pressure to conform to what was happening at that time. And if they didn't conform, great persecution would come to them. And so when this letter was written, the purpose was to encourage the believers. The message that God was bringing to his children was this. There is going to be a showdown between God and Satan. There's going to be a showdown between good and evil. And God is saying to his people, hang in there. Tell your neighbor, hang in there. Tell your other neighbor, hang in there. So God was telling his people, hang in there. God is going to win. The church is going to win. And so in the book of Revelations, unwaveringly, it proclaims that Jesus rules the world and that Jesus is in control of the history of the world. See, no matter what is happening in your life or my life, my brother and my sister, God is in control of what is going on in the world. Even if things are falling around us, even if things are falling apart in our lives, even if we may be feeling confused, God is not lost. God knows exactly what is going on in your life. In fact, this book portrays Jesus walking among these seven churches. And he calls John to write. He, has John, he says to John, I have a message to these churches. 
He says, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, in Laodicea, and some of those places. That designation angel speaks of the leadership of the churches. So these letters were addressed to the leaders of the churches and the congregation also. And reflected in these letters is, what is it that Jesus is thinking about the church? What is it that when Jesus looks at the church, he sees in the church? What is it that Jesus wants us to be aware of concerning the church? Or if Jesus was to say something about the church or about our church, what would Jesus be saying? Jesus starts, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 2, commending the church. He commends them for the great work they're doing. He commends them for the deeds that they're doing. He commends them for perseverance in the light of trouble that they're having. He even tells them, I love the fact that you didn't tolerate evil and wicked men. That's in verse 2. He says, you tested the false claims of the false apostles and you found them to be false. And Jesus says, in spite of the hardship that you experienced, you persevered. You endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary. Can I hear an amen? And Jesus says, I commend you for all that, but I've got something I am critical about. I'm just criticizing you on this one thing. You have left your first love. With everything happening around you that I commend you for, but there's this one thing that you've done. You have abandoned your first love. What a statement. Think about it. He's not saying they don't love anymore. He says they've just abandoned their first love. What is first love? I know most of us, we understand love, all of us. You've probably have been loved before or you've loved. You probably know how it feels to love. You know, as a young guy, you know, I, when I was in primary school, I had a crush on my teacher. <laughs> I did. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. I know you all have been very holy and sanctified. But I had a crush on my teacher. I don't even remember what grade I was in. I know I was in primary school. I just love this teacher. My goodness. I just enjoy. You know, when she was teaching, I couldn't hear a thing she said. <laughs> I remember once she wrote on the board. You know, when we used to have chalkboards back then. And she wrote on the chalkboard something. And for whatever reason, I thought she had made a mistake. You know, on the chalkboard. You know. So I, I then volunteered. You know, to go and point out the fact that she had written something very wrongly. I, I had a motive, of course, but I, I had to go and point out. So I went over to my teacher and I told my teacher, ma'am, you, 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 you know, there's something that you didn't write correctly. So she looked for the fault and she couldn't find it. But I didn't mind at all, as long as I was looking at her. <laughs> you know? And, and I know, you know, you, you know this first love where you are awestruck, you know? Um, uh, I remember we went to one of our branches. I won't tell you which one it was. Sometime. And, and I was preaching in this branch. And uh, after preaching, we were greeting the people. And, and one of the guys came there. And I could see this guy has a crush on, on my bishop, you know. Serious. <laughs> the guy had a crush on it. I can see, you know, I, I've been through that, you know. So I'm looking at this guy. 
And he goes to my bishop and talks to her. And then he says, can we have a photo? So I said, okay, let's join. He says, no, bishop, when I am a lamode, you know. <laughs> you, you go. <laughs> you <laughs> Afterwards, we were chuckling about it. And we were laughing. And it's okay. It's all right. Loving is part of life. It's part of life. You know, I actually remember so many things. And many of you remember when you were love struck. You remember? When you first saw her? When you first saw him? You remember the first love? I don't know how old you were. Two years old? <laughs> 15 years old? What happens? You see this person and you're dumbstruck. You just stand there. They come and greet you and say hello. You go, yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody has ever done anything like that? When you love somebody, you want to, you want to drop everything and, and, and do whatever it takes to please them. You want to just look at them the whole day. You know? You want to please them at all costs. You know, you know guys, when they, when they see a lady they love, I don't know if it still happens, but in our days, when a guy saw a lady that you loved and you were, you were love struck, you start changing the way you walk. You know, all of a sudden you have a limp in your walk. I don't know. You want her to see you, you know. Yeah, now she has a different way of talking. Come on, ladies. You're not innocent either. Yeah, no. I remember some years ago, you won't even know when this was. So I want to say one of our pastors was, was you know, he wanted to marry somebody. So this lady was really giving him a hard time. She, she didn't want to say yes. And one I prayed for him so much. We believed God. We, we, we prayed for a divine intervention and, and God gave this lady wisdom. And finally, this lady accepted him, you know. So, so I knew what had happened during the week. And it just so happened that on Sunday, he had been scheduled to come and read the announcements, you know. And it was a weather like this. You know, this is even better. It was very, very cloudy that day, very dark. And he came to read the announcements. I can say, Maza, can you imagine Can you imagine reading the announcements and the weather is very cloudy and you have your sunglasses on? I mean, you couldn't even see the announcements. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I know what made those mazaza come on his face. The brother is love struck. But all of us, when we love, you can't get somebody out of your mind. You, you keep thinking about them. And Jesus says to this church, you know, there was a time when you were dumbstruck by me. There's a time when you were thinking about me. And everybody you met, you told them about this person that you've met. But something has changed. Jesus says, I have that against you. You're no longer talking about me like you used to talk about me. When you meet people, you used to tell them how saved you are. You used to tell them the grace of God that touched your life. You used to tell them about the Savior that you met who turned your world upside down. But now you don't even talk about Jesus anymore. There was a time when you used to drop everything and make sure you go to church. Make sure you pray. Make sure you read the word. But now it's a matter of convenience. Now it's a matter of if, it's, if I'm available, if I'm not too hectic. Jesus says, what has happened? There's a time when you would try to please God at all costs. I mean, some of us, let's tell the truth. Whatever was happening in church or in the face of God, we're the first ones to be there. 
I remember as a young person, you know, going to seminars way back then when I didn't even have a car. Traveling all the way to Runbeck, those years, taxis were not as organized as they are right now. To get to Runbeck, you had to use two modes of transport, a bus and a train. Sometimes some buses would go all the way there. But I would go to conferences there and attend conferences using two modes of transport. And I'd stay there the whole day. I mean, the conference would start at 9 o'clock, but I was there by 8.30. And it was the whole day's conference. Going there, no lunch, no offering. When the offering basket came, I acted like I'm putting something in the offering. <laughs> Didn't have the money. We would stay the evening services those, day, those years. It was in Konza, Pum. Nine o'clock comes, service is still on. Ten o'clock comes, the preacher hasn't started. Eleven o'clock comes, he studies, then he says for five minutes, then he says, that was just my introduction. And then 11.30, we dismiss. We, I knew there was no transport. Even as I was sitting in the service, I knew I couldn't get any transport. But I was trusting God, I'm going to hike all the way back home. And after the service, someone would give us a lift to take us to Park Station, and at Park Station, I'd get a train, go home and walk all the way home, get home, 12 midnight. That's first love. That's first love. But my goodness, yeah, that's first love. Some of you remember that first love thing. You were the first one to arrive here and the last one to leave. Yeah, it, whether it rains or whether you were the first one to come here. But now I have a car. And now I'm hectic. And now when I get to the service, I sit there looking at my watch. And if it hits, if it's quarter past nine and he's not done, I'm leaving. Because I'm busy. Jesus says, I have that against you. What has happened? I'm no longer number one. What has happened? You no longer have a burning passion for me. Jesus says, what has happened? You no longer have me in your mind. There was a time when you couldn't get me off your mind. When you met in prayer meetings, you talked about me. When you met with other Christians, you talked about me. But now it's no longer talking about God. As a matter of fact, Bazalana, I must say, when I look at our services right now and I look at the number of new people who come to the church and I look at the number of people who come to the altar call, it's very clear that we are no longer telling others about Jesus. It's very clear that we are no longer inviting people. Jesus says you used to invite people, you used to bring them, but now it's only you and your wife in your car and the children. Now you only go there just to mark the register. What has happened? And Jesus is asking the church that question. Jesus says, you have abandoned your first love. The love that caused you to drop everything and follow me. In this instance, follow me into the desert. The love that captured your heart and colored every moment of every day. The love that made you to raise your hands in church and worship from your heart. The love that made you that even when they were praising and worshiping, you came forward to the front to come and dance a little bit, even if you didn't know how to dance. Now you look at those who are dancing and you get irritated because they're making noise. They're, they're kind of an irritation to you. You've become extremely matured. That you say, no, but they will grow up, they will mature just like me. Jesus says, what happened? I thought I was the one who captured your heart. I thought I was the one that you talked about. I thought I was the only one that you gave attention to. Who's this other guy that you're looking at? Who's this other girl that you are looking at? Jesus says, this is the kind of love of what church is all about. 
This is the kind of love that should define my church, Jesus says. He says, if this love doesn't exist, the church cannot be a living church. Jesus is simply saying, if the people that I'm coming to will not welcome me, if they're not looking forward, if they're not dumbstruck and lovestruck, I cannot reveal myself fully to them. I can only come and arrive, but they're not going to give me attention because their eyes have been captured by somebody else. Jesus says, this is the kind of church that I want that will not pretend. It's this kind of church that must have this kind of DNA called first love. This is central to the church, Jesus says. This is what shapes the church, Jesus says. But he says, but you're missing a core component. And if you don't have this love, it's a problem. What happens when we lose our first love? What happens when the passion we had for Christ is replaced by other things? Number one, we move into legalism and self-righteousness. We start judging other people and disliking other people and seeing ourselves better than other people. When the truth is, we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. Secondly, we move into a mechanical form of Christianity, which contains all the externals, but lacks the internal passion that once stirs our heart for God. You know, I all tell people all the time, you know, uh, it's not a problem, Barcelona, uh, developing and having all these things and having auditoriums and, and all these razzmatazz and screens and lights and whatever and whatever. But you know, sometimes what I notice is that sometimes when you go visit churches, and I visit churches around, and, and you find this starting church, you know, in a classroom, you know, with a rundown sound system and, and, and the sound technicians who don't know what to do, the sound is feeding back and the, it's not that clear and the music is not that great and then and, and, and the lead singer has a degree in bimbiology, you know. <laughs> and you find everything disorganized like that, but you look at the passion of people. And you look at their intensity of praise and worship and then you come to a post-church like this one. And you look at the way people are so subdued and they are so proper and they are so organized and they are so right. And Jesus says, what happened? When you used to have a scrappy church, you used to worship me with all your heart. Now that you have become important, now you are so organized and so nice, you can't even get into it. Look at your neighbor and say, why are you quiet? Is he talking about you? Is he talking about you? When first love escapes us, we focus on form instead of the substance of our faith. We start measuring our faith by the sizes of cars that we drive. We start measuring our faith by the type of clothes that we wear. We become infatuated with knowledge instead of holiness. Personal holiness no longer becomes a quest and we become convinced that knowledge is what makes us God's people. We are glad to have a notebook filled with sermons but a lifestyle empty of transformation. When we lose our first love, the Lordship of Jesus Christ escapes us. We no longer obey him. We serve him out of convenience. We get on the throne of our lives and he ceases to be the Lord of our lives. We become com comfortable with the things of God. We are aware of what's going to happen in church. 
Even when the preaching goes, I couldn't care to do what it said. I'm just here in church to mark the register. We lose our evangelistic zeal. Because you see, when you meet somebody who strikes you like that, and you are love struck, you've got to tell somebody about this guy or about this girl. But now, we don't tell others about Jesus. What has happened? First love gone. We lose our evangelistic zeal. And we look at the world as our enemy. Instead of looking at the world as a mission field. We end up being more concerned with comfort of the saints. We are happy to be among one another. We no longer realize that there's a world out there. There are people out there who desperately need God's intervention in their lives. This is what causes us as churches to be inwardly directed instead of outwardly directed. This is what causes churches to grow cold and we argue about doctrine. What's the right way of baptizing? Is it once? Is it twice? Is it seven times? Do we sprinkle them? Do you marinate them? Do you drown them? Do you dunk them? What do you do? We start arguing about the commas in the verses. And churches get cold and we become more concerned with maintaining our tradition than seeing the salvations and the baptism of others. We become insensitive to the Holy Spirit and become dull to things that are besetting us, that are distracting us. And our fellowship, instead of it being a powerful fellowship, we end up being Christians who are divided in church. We start having small onyana things that divide us. You took my chair. You parked in my parking lot. You didn't greet me. And we forget all those things. Instead of being passionately in love with Jesus, when we never used to mind back then to sit on the ground, we didn't mind after the service to carry the church, the chair back to the storeroom. But now we are not passionate. We are sensitive, oversensitive. We become cold, lose sensitivity, we gossip, pride comes in, jealousy comes in, bitterness comes in, attitude of spiritual one-upmanship comes in, a host of other things. And Jesus says, you can't go on like this. We become content with what we are instead of being happy to be transformed by God. Because see, God is not committed to our comfort. God is committed to our transformation. He wants the passion of becoming more like Jesus to be more and more and not diminished. Instead of comparing ourselves with Jesus, we begin to compare ourselves with one another. And we in churches, we start hitting the other church and, and criticizing the other minister and always reasoning within ourselves and say, as long as I'm better than so and so. But Jesus looks at us and say, you know what? You are nothing as compared to what you should be in my eyes. So this attitude leads us to self-righteousness. And we become dispassionate and we cool off. We cool off. We cool off. So Jesus asked, what happened? What went wrong? Ephesian church, Grace Bible church, all churches, you started well, but you allowed yourself to be swallowed and drowned by being distracted with the spirit of the day. I get amazed even now when I look at Soweto because I grew up here. And please hear me and hear me right. I'm not saying whatever. But I know our stats at some point said 80% of people here in Soweto, 
actually go to church, not just South Africa, in Soweto. Remember growing up as a child and seeing hundreds of people go to church. But you know, when you look back, at that time, there are many things that were truly out of place in our lives. But you know, as things have improved to some extent, and as people have become, at least can manage their life better, and as circumstances have become better, now church is no longer a place people are putting as a priority anymore. It's very sad that even on times when people used to say, we're going to church, you know, in those days, even if you didn't do anything about what you had, you say, we're But it's not like that today. And so this Ephesian church that lived in a bustling and church irreligious culture allowed itself to be swallowed. And they had pressures that would come to them, that would try them. And Jesus says, I'm glad with your hard work. I'm glad with your patience. I'm glad with your endurance. I'm glad with you coming against wrong teaching. But I'm not happy that you have lost and you have left your first love. So let's answer the question as we close. How do we return then to our first love? Because Jesus says, you have abandoned your first love. The passion is over. Somebody else has taken your attention. Number one, Jesus says do three things. Number one, remember. Number two, return. Number three, resume or redo. First of all, Jesus says, remember then from whence you have fallen. In other words, think back. What is it that caused you to become a Christian in the first place? Think about it. Some of us have forgotten. But I, I remember. I remember for me. When I received Christ as an 18-year-old young man, I clearly remember I was going through a very difficult time myself. In my heart, I felt a sense of emptiness. Just like life has no meaning anymore. Thank God for the good home we were raised in. Good parents we had. Good family we had. But even all of that, even the fact that I went to church regularly, I hadn't had an encounter with Christ. I was asking questions about my life. Sensing that something is out of place. Something is not where it should be. And I remember on the 5th of August, 1978, when I heard the preaching of the God's word. It wasn't a preaching of hellfire and brimstone. It was a preaching that was telling me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I remember as the preacher was preaching and they were just giving a, a, an exhortation. And they, 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 they said, if you are there and you want to receive Christ, would you raise your hand? I didn't fully understand what they were saying. But I could identify with what they were talking about. I knew at that time that I needed God desperately. And that I knew that if I was, if I was to respond, I'm just hoping God would do something in my life. And I raised my hand today like I'm going to give many of you a chance to raise your hand today. And the 5th of August, 1978, when I received Christ in my life, my goodness, he changed my life. He transformed my life. 
All that sense of being lost and worthlessness disappeared. All that sense of just, you know, emptiness and and hollowness, it all disappeared. God filled my heart with contentment. I'm not saying I had all the answers to my problems. I'm not saying anything, everything else in my life transformed. But there was something in my heart that changed from that day. How did you meet Jesus? What is it that was happening around your life? Jesus says, remember that. Remember that. Remember how God's word was so sweet, it came as a solution in your confusion. Remember how God's word came in your life and brought a different change in your life. Jesus says, remember. Then he says, after you have remembered where you come from, He says, repent. The word repent means turn around. Jesus is saying, take the initiative and take the responsibility to turn your life around. Turn your focus around. Force yourself to remember what God did in your life. Put your allegiance back to Jesus, the head of the church. Make room for him in your life. Focus again on him and not on your hurts. Focus on his love. Return to him again. Return to him and let him be the center of your life. Return to him and let his presence and his vision for the work of God fill your life. Return to him so that everything that he is and everything that becomes the center of your life is is around Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And then he says, after you have returned, after you have repented, he says, do the the works that you did at first. In other words, resume. What does it mean? The first thing, you simply begin to do the things that you used to do for God's kingdom. You get yourself back in prayer. You get yourself back in the word of God. You get yourself to witnessing to others again. You get yourself to putting God first. You get yourself to making sure that God is number one in your life. You get yourself back to ensuring that the gifts that you have, you use them for the glory of God. You, feel, you fulfill your calling by dedicating your life to the service of God. Secondly, you pray that God would open your heart and fill you with the presence of the Holy Spirit. You ask the Holy Spirit to fill you for the service of God. Jesus says, if you then been evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? You ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can do the work of God again. And we know that with God besides us, we can walk through the challenges of our present day. We know that with God on our side, in spite of everything around us that is trying to entice us, we keep our focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The Bible says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We find that when we do this, our love for Jesus comes back. And Jesus says, when you do this, I will not remove your lampstand. But if you don't do this, I will remove your lampstand. 
In other words, Jesus says, if you don't go back to your first love, there will be a downward spiral of momentum. Note, when we get our first love back, then we discover there's another level of love that we didn't know existed before. You see, first love, when you first fall in love with one another, it's a true love, but that love is spiked and it's, it's filled with a lot of emotions. You look at each other, you feel a zing in the eyes. You touch each other, you feel something in your eyes, in your hands. And it's got a lot of emotion and a lot of feeling. When you talk on the phone, you don't want to stop. You know, you, 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 you use up all the air time, you know. You, you stand at the corner and you do sakaduku, you know, that is first love. When you're walking around, you can hardly get your hands off each other. You want to hug and you want to kiss. And then you get married. That's a laughter of revelation. Look at your neighbor and say that. And unfortunately, we think that the love is gone after we're married. But what we forget is the first love, there are things that we did that kept the love burning. And if you, you've been married for a while and you want to get the zing back, you know that the zing is a better zing than the former zing that was zinging. <laughs> now you start doing all the touching and the sakatuku and the phoning. You don't do it because you feel like doing it. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You send your partner loving texts. You, you phone them and, and you tell them you love them. Not because you feel something down your feet. You do it because it's the right thing to do. But the minute you start doing it because it's a commitment. Because it's the right thing to do. All of a sudden the feeling comes back. Which is a better feeling and a more sustainable feeling. Than the first feeling of being dumbstruck. It's a love that is deep. It's a love that is enduring. Your heart still skips a bit, but it skips a bit even much more longer because it's a love that has matured. It's a love that comes out of a decision. It's a love that comes out of a commitment. Jesus says if you get back to the first love, you will discover there are levels of anointings that you haven't discovered yet. There are levels of the move of God that you haven't discovered yet. When you get up in the morning and your body tells you not to go to church and you tell your body, I am going to church. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you're telling me. I don't care what the weather says. I am going to church. And when you come to church, you start experiencing something higher, something more than what you have experienced before. Can I hear an amen? Jesus says when you get back to your first love, when you get back to your first love, I will not remove your lampstand. You see, the lampstand he's talking about is what they used to put in the tabernacle in the house of God. It was a lampstand that had seven candlesticks on it. Remember the number seven? And when it was placed there in the house of God as a symbol of light. Light comes because of the word of God. Light comes because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Light speaks of revelation and understanding and insight. Light, light speaks of the fact that God shows you that he doesn't show other people. And you're able to have insight more than other people. Listen to what he says. He says when you go back to your first love, I'm going to move you to a higher level of knowing God. 
You will have the light of the word of God in your life. The revelation of the word of God in your life. You will have the experience of the anointing in your life. And the power of God in your life. And now because you are no longer a child. That level you can sustain. You will move from glory to glory. You will move from strength to strength. You will move from faith to faith. Why? Because you have gotten back to your first love. And when we get back to our first love, we discover things about God that we didn't know we have. You know, Vazalana, maybe not to go in too much into numbers and whatever, but I've got to say this. I discovered years ago that praying for 30 minutes was better than praying for five minutes. Mara, it was harder. Because, you see, many of us, when we start praying, you know, we pray with emotions, particularly as charismatic Pentecostals people. We sound like a steam train. Now, how many of you know, you can't sustain that level of intensity for long. 30 minutes later, your voice is hoarse, your energy is gone, your emotions are slipping out. Now you feel like being quiet. Jesus says, that's when you should start praying. Ah, you didn't hear what I said. You see, the other prayer was first love praying. First experience praying. Head emotions. You know, I always love it. When we, you know, when we go to a whole night prayer. You know, there are some first love people there that you see. What do they do? When we say, let's pray, they start. And they are forgetting we have six more hours to go. <laughs> in fact, I remember I was leading a prayer meeting once in Guiani. I had visited one church and they had a whole night prayer. So I was conducting the whole night prayer. So when we started, there was this guy. You know that some people, when they pray, everybody hears. How many of you are sitting next to some of those people right now? <laughs> and so, after an hour, people were actually dozing off. And I remember him reprimanding people during the break because we would take small breaks after. He was reprimanding everybody. Why are they sleeping? How can they leave their houses and leave their comfortable beds and come to church and sleep? What a shame. What a shock. What an aftershock. What a sustained shock. And then we went back to praying. And lo and behold, when I looked over, I saw the brother who was reprimanding other people. Not only was he sleeping, he was snoring. There was the... The, 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 there was no way to make a mistake that the brother was sleeping. And then I said to the Christians, I said, you know what? If you're going to pray for six hours, you don't start at the climax. You don't run a marathon like you're running a hundred meter dash. But you know I found out? One hour, very difficult. Second hour, you don't want to do it. Like those of you who run marathons. All the emotions and the hype of running is gone. All you are left with is the discipline. 
to finish. No ounce of emotion in you. But then we got into the fourth hour. We got into the fifth hour. And I, and I heard myself, saw myself pray like I never prayed before. I felt the power of God like I've never felt before. And I realized there is this level that is still available. Jesus says there's a level that's available for you. A level, if you are to return to your first love, you will experience in your life. I don't know about you, but I want to experience that new level in my life. I said, I want to experience that new level in my life. Raise your hands. Let's pray together. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today and I yield my life to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Yeah, I can't put the word. I pray this morning and I commit myself to the first love. Forgive me for walking away. For shunning you and allowing other things to be a priority in my life. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. You are the core and the center of what I do. Just begin to pray in the spirit right where you are. Just pray. pray, pray. Just pray. All over the house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pray even if you don't feel like it. Pray even if your body is telling you not to pray. Pray. Go beyond the level of feelings and emotions. Pray because that's the right thing to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pray all over the house. Just pray. Raise your voice and begin to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Say them all of us. Thank you, Jesus. 